Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame. And my name is Yimin Chen. Tonight, we have a guest from the uh, department, the Faculty of Biology, uh, second year master's student, Anna Chernyshova. Hello, Anna. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Anna, um, I understand that you study termites here at Western. And those are those little sort of teeny tiny insects. They eat wood. They're sort of like ants, I guess. What What is it about termites that makes them special? Well, termites, despite common understanding that termites are very similar to ants, they're mm-hmm. actually not um, oh, wow. that similar. Um, they have some differences. Um, although both ants um, and termites as well as honeybees and some wasps. Mm-hmm. They, um, they are the special types of insects that um, live in highly functional societies. Okay. Uh, comprised of usually thousands, um, sometimes millions of individuals. And um, so termites, they're, they're different from ants in, in their in the way that their genetic system is set up, and also they are they belong to two different um, insect orders. Okay, so they're so, not really related. Uh, so they are both insects. So they, okay, yeah, they, they do um, form part of arthropoda, uh, but they are um, nevertheless from two distinct um, insect orders. Okay. So the Hymenoptera and the Blattodea, and the Blattodea um, that's that's the order to which termites belong, mm-hmm. and actually, it is the same order um, as cockroaches are. Oh, really? And what's what's uh, interesting is that termites are actually eusocial cockroaches. So, um, and this was not known until relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, termites were considered to belong to their own order, which was called Isoptera, and recent phylogenetic analysis actually showed that their DNA sequence is extremely similar to cockroaches and so they are in fact cockroaches and so it was uh, in a way problematic because um, there was a lot of papers that came out um, citing isoptera Mm -hmm. when in reality it's the same thing so um, that's another special feature of termites is that um, even though they belong to blatodea it was decided to still keep isoptera as sort of intra-order to specialize them as a special, or rather to call them as a special family. Okay. So what does it mean then to be a, you said, eusocial cockroach? Um, So eusocial uh, from Greek basically means truly social. Okay. Um, And um, this eusociality um, is the highest form of biological organization across mm-hmm. all animals, including humans. It's actually more sophisticated social organization than even we as humans have. Oh, wow. And what makes it so sophisticated is that if you look at humans, right, so we, we can specialize in specific roles after attending school or acquiring some skills, right? Right. But in termites, um, in a way, they there's many factors that define it, but... Um, the castes are physically distinct. So if you imagine 
if if we as humans had the system then you could have a police officer mm-hmm. if you're born into a police officer caste then you would have you know this massive muscles and like um, oh, wow. protective weapons right so mm-hmm. termites are um th- their police officers are basically a soldier caste and um the soldier caste is very um unique in that they have specific um features of their body or of their biology that allow them to perform defensive functions so for example they have a uh, huge large heads with mandibles so if any intruders come in then they can kick them out or pinch them they have this protective system and then they also have other castes so each of the castes depending on like their role what their function is within the termite society they have physiological differences that's right so um within um this is actually a great question because not all castes are physically distinct. Okay. Um, although most are, mm-hmm. um, but in termites specifically, termites, um, that's another feature that makes them special is that their castes are usually most pronounced, so they have the largest number of them, the largest mm-hmm. number of specializations um, for tasks, and usually they are morphologically distinct. It makes me wonder. I wonder what uh, the academic cast would look like <laughs> <laughs> in termites. Uh, maybe maybe they don't have that type. I mean, the, the researcher, the the pioneer, is sort of doing research, right? Definitely <laughs> big head, right? <laughs> it's the big head one, but it's completely completely useless for anything. Just has a big head, sits it's around. It's a big head, you know. Yeah. So that's a that's a really interesting system. I mean, I almost wonder, like, why don't we have it? Um, could we have it? I mean, how 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 did termites end up getting this system? Well, it's uh, it's a very very good question actually, and it's important to say that eusociality um, is not restricted to insects only. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also found um, in other parts across uh, the tree of life, um, including in mammals actually. So the naked mole rat, for example. Um, it's it's a mammal, and um, these species are native. They're found in sub-Saharan Africa, mm-hmm. and um, they actually have division of labor that is similar to insects. And the way that it works is basically the colony is divided into reproductive caste. So it's usually few individuals who are reproductive, and mm-hmm. they monopolize it for for the re- duration of their entire time, and therefore majority of offspring comes, including all the nest mates, comes from the reproductive caste, and then the rest, hundreds of thousands of individuals, can form into um, subcastes, so speci- specialized for specific tasks. So I already mentioned soldier. Soldier is one. Um, sterile or non-reproductive caste, um, and they're responsible for defense. Um, there's also workers who, for example, help build the nest and help raise um, new, um, younger uh, offspring. Um, they they likewise um, fix the nest if it needs fixing. Um, there's also foragers that go out and get food, uh, bring resources back. Uh, to the colony and then you can also have a nymph caste Um, so the nymph caste is 
sort of a uh, precast to the queen and the king, which are reproductive. So when the queen and the king are, in termite case, are present in a colony, reproduction is performed by them. But mm -hmm. then imagine if the queen and the king get old and they die, right? Then what's going to happen to the rest of the colony that would be considered a waste, right? Mm -hmm. So then there is a, there's a system for this. Um, the nymphs can, uh, when, when there is no queen um, or king present, the nymphs can actually develop along um, the reproductive line of development and they can become the queen or the new queen or the king in so that case. It's sort of like having backups ready in case anything happens to the king and queen. Right, because you don't want all these um, individuals to just die off. Okay. And especially considering that the chances of successfully founding a colony um, are actually pretty low. Mm -hmm. Considering that it's dangerous, um, you know, you don't have protection that you used to have when you live in a colony. Um, and you got to do everything yourself, at least at the beginning. Okay. I mean, in some ways, I... Uh, when you when you're saying uh, you know this you social it's more complex it's it's higher than our than our way of of being social um, I'm imagining it's kind of like a utopia as well like everyone works together and everyone has their role and no one complains and everyone does everything but I'm also wondering in the case especially specifically with the nymphs um, is there like a hierarchy or is it a little bit of a battle when the king and queen die, which nymph gets to be the king and the queen? That's a great question, and uh, there's a lot of variation um, that is found across the world um, in different species. There is about 3,100 different types of termite species across the world, Whoa. and they all live in different environments. Um, they may have more or less number of uh, specified um, sterile um, individuals um, and so and so there are a lot of a lot of differences well like this whole caste system this whole youth social organization of sort of termite society seems really complicated and as you said it all a lot of it depends on the survival of this one royal like breeding pair right what is the benefit of setting up you know um, your sort of species in this way. What did termites get out of this um, this way of living that you know um, is better than maybe having all the individuals go off on their own? This is a great question, and uh, this is um, the question that actually posed special difficulty to Darwin himself when he came up with um, um, trying to explain. Um, evolution of life oh, really? how it evolves and normally um, evolution of life occurs um, over a very long period of time mm -hmm. um, usually usually um, it can be you know accumulation of genetic variation that happens right so you could have your genes could could get mutations um, which are random um, but then they might be beneficial and they might be selected for over uh, over generations if they provide a benefit mm -hmm. um, for you. So um, from from one perspective, it is the system is paradox, paradoxical, right? So mm -hmm. 
um, individuals choose to limit their own chances of reproducing and um, sacrifice and sacrifice themselves in a way um, at the expense of their own personal fitness right um, for the good of the colony mates and for for the good of the queen right so mm -hmm. What's more, if you look at the example of honeybees, which uh, a lot of more people are familiar with, um, if you come, if you've ever come close to the honeybee hive, um, you will probably get stung. Right, right they'll attack and you. What's what's um, what's more, when they will sting you, uh, the honeybee will actually die because um, the way that their stinger is shaped, mm -hmm. it will stay in your skin, and when they pull away, it rips off their guts essentially oh wow so so that is a self that is truly self-sacrificial mm -hmm. and uh, behavior and it's it's very altruistic form of behavior right so from one from one perspective you may think how can this be favored how can this type of behavior evolve when it doesn't benefit individual fitness right and so Darwin, um, that that was the the difficulty to his theory. Mm -hmm. And um, Hamilton um, proposed an explanation for it. And he he is um, his explanation is still the best um, theoretical understanding that we have mm -hmm. for eusocial systems and how they could have evolved. And um, he explained that uh, first of all. Um, individuals within each colony, they are all related, right? Right. To some degree. They're, um, all, they're all children of the, the breeding pair. Sure. The, yeah? A lot of the times they are offspring of the founding pair, right? Okay. As in the case of termites, for mm -hmm. example, right? In honeybees, the system is a little bit different, but likewise, they're to some degree, they are related to one so another. So they're sort of like a family. So they are a family, yeah. yeah. So okay. they share some proportion of genes, right? right? Um, even though they will have genetic variation mm -hmm. depending on the castes, because remember they are they are different physically. So right. that means their genes are probably also different mm -hmm. um, to some degree from one another. So Hamilton explained that um, such behavior could evolve mm -hmm. if, um, for for example, one individual performs an um, altruistic action towards another, right? So that's uh, something that is of benefit to his relative, his or her relative, mm -hmm. right? If the benefit from this action um, outweighs the overall cost of uh, this altruistic behavior mm -hmm. or the overall cost to individual's personal fitness, then basically the entire colony benefits much more. And so at the colonial level, um, such system could evolve. So basically, um, Hamilton divide fitness into two components. One is direct fitness, mm -hmm. or your personal fitness, and one is indirect fitness, which is basically the benefit that you provide by sacrificing your direct fitness. You are maximizing fitness of your relatives indirectly. Okay. So, so you're helping raise more offspring, for example. So you're helping to uh, propagate your genes in a way, your related, your related genes, number of copies of these genes. 
um, because by helping, the queen is more likely to make more of your copies. So the idea so, is basically to think of it uh, on like a genetic level as opposed to an individual level. Right. So sociobiology, mm -hmm. um, I guess one of the main ideas which was uh, championed by uh, Richard Dawkins in, in his famous work uh, called The Selfish Gene mm -hmm. is basically if you um, step away from individual right. and look at evolution from gene perspective, from perspective of one, let's say, selfish gene, mm -hmm. right? So let's say a gene wants to find any way that it can get more of its copies into the next generation. Right. And so we can think of sterile casts evolving in this way. So by helping, by, by, by being useful, mm -hmm. right, in a colony, by providing some benefit, um, their genes are more likely to increase in frequency because they are useful, because they're providing benefits. So they are more likely to make more copies of themselves if they are um, needed in the colony, right? So if they mm -hmm. provide some function that is that increases survivability of the entire unit. So in the way you can look at it, um, some people refer to the entire termite colony as one superorganism. Okay. Where the reproductive or the queen, you can think of her as an ovary organ, right? So right. if you have, if you compare it to humans, right? And then soldiers, you can think of them as defensive cells that you may have in your body, right? So your immune cells, for example, right? So some people still have this analogy that, that it's actually a super organism. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's more, um, this also makes them a great system to study different levels of biological organization um, and, and, how, and how that also evolves, right? Because in humans, for example, we have, we have our germline cells Right, which are which contain the ex full expression of our DNA, right? And then we have our normal cells, our our somatic cells that um, only have a certain portion of a genome expressed, right? So your skin cells may contain um, in the nucleus the entire genetic information of mm -hmm. of every cell, but only a portion of it is expressed. So we see the same thing in casts. The way that it works is um, the queen, uh, the genome, which is basically the blueprint containing organisms, coding for organisms' functions, pro uh, proteins, and all the phenotypes, right. um, or observable traits. Um, the the queen, the uh, the queen will have a certain number of genes expressed, mm -hmm. and then each cast will have a specific portion of um, of the entire genome expressed. But then, that genome is not—it may not be expressed in other casts. So it's—it's it's called conditional expression. So, expressed in one cast, but not expressed in another, which also results in a loss of function, which also makes them more specialized for their own specific behavior. Well, I mean, it's really cool to think of <laughs> termite, a whole colony, as a super organism. What a super! Organism. <laughs> wish super. I was. Wish I was that super. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although we may never be quite as super. Uh, we might be. Well, it it, it, is, it so? did evolve in 
mammals, right, already. So right. we do okay. see the system appearing in across the tree of life. So who are we to say that this might not be a possibility okay. in a million of years? We so don't ma- know. Maybe, maybe it'll start in India with their castes. <laughs> maybe not. Um, I mean, those castes are prevalent, um, but as far as, I mean, historically they have been for sure. And as f- But as far as we know, um, the physical di- differences are not as distinct as we see them in mm-hmm. in these um, societies. So, um, so one question I'd like to know is, what do you do every day with these termites? I mean, I, I imagine it's hard. <laughs> I can't imagine containing termites. They're cool to look at, but I would be, it would seems daunting to me to to maintain termites. Um, how how do you do that? And, and uh, what do you do directly with your termites? Your termites. Yeah, do you have like a giant colony here at Western? <laughs> we actually do. Oh, wow. Um, and we actually have a couple. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> funny enough, so I already mentioned that there's a lot of different types of species. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's about 3,100 of them. And they have um, very important ecological, um, imp- uh, ecological role that they play. But uh, despite that, a lot of... Uh, a lot of people you would dislike them and the reason that they dislike them is because out of this 3100 species 28 of them are uh, pests okay but they are such efficient pests that the impact is 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 huge it's enormous right um, so I'm actually working with uh, one of the most invasive species of termites um, and a lot of the times, uh, termites prefer to live in tropic uh, climates, mm-hmm. so warmer climates. But um, we also have some termites in Canada. And the invasive species that I'm working with, they, they are actually not native to Canada. They have been introduced okay. um, here. Um, specifically, they've been introduced uh, to Toronto mm-hmm. uh, in in 1935 or um, between 1935 and 1938 and they've been introduced by a ship Mm -hmm. Um, and since then they've been very successful at um, spreading all over Toronto and they're considered a pretty big problem because they enjoy eating the wood from which we build we humans build our houses okay right and um, They can do well in Toronto because it's warm inside the human house. Um, Mm -hmm. And so really, they don't mind at all. And so because of that, um, they they are also um, important. They're also important for economic purpose. Right. So in the United States alone last last year, um, the same species, which are also present there, um, have done damage. Uh, that was worth um, 80 million dollars oh wow just last year just in the united states alone um and now in toronto um they they, they're continuing to spread and there's more and more cases that are being reported of them and they're very difficult to exterminate Mm -hmm. um and and they've also spread now to other parts of ontario so the termites that we have in the lab um, are from uh, Point Pili. Okay. Um, and these are eastern subterranean termites. 
Um, so they they live in the soil, mm-hmm. and um, they're very easy to maintain in the lab actually because it's very hard to suffocate them. Uh, okay. They have high survivability. You can just literally put them in a box, give them some wood, give them some cardboard paper, and they will be happy. And you, you need to give them some moisture. Okay. So that's pretty easy. Um, it's much harder to maintain um, honeybees or other ant colonies, but um, these species are relatively, I would say, easy to maintain. I guess I'd, I'd have, um, I was thinking uh, it might be too easy to maintain <laughs> in that, in that uh, are you worried if they're going to crawl out from under the door in the lab? <laughs> well, actually, uh, we've, uh, we've done some outreach events where we showed uh, termites to people, and it always freaks them out. Mm. They're always scared of bringing them in. But uh, I guess the only cast you should really worry about bringing in is the reproductive cast. Right. Um, but even then, it's it's relatively hard for for termites to successfully establish a colony because it, it requires resources, it requires labor, and there's a lot of danger um, into them not being able to even survive, right? Not even not even being able to start off um, a colony effectively. Okay, and so with these colonies you have here, what is sort of the ultimate question that you're hoping to answer with your research? So the ultimate question I'm trying to answer is how do these casts evolve Mm -hmm. if not through direct reproduction then according to the Hamilton's theory they must evolve through indirect um, reproduction right? So by by, uh, directing their help to reproductive reproductive mother or father um they're they're able to indirectly somehow evolve right so nobody knows how this actually works and um why because you in order to find this out you need to zoom in into the genes and to do that you need to use technology right so Mm -hmm. um it wasn't until relatively recent that we have evolution of all this technology the bioinformatics era which is now making it possible for me to see how direct versus indirect selection actually operates on these genes and how this wonderful, interesting system has evolved and continues to do so. Um, and especially what's intriguing, if you if you took all the mass of termites, it's uh, three times larger than all the humans in the world. Oh, so wow. if you if you took all the humans and you put them together in one pile, and then you took all the termites and you put them together in one pile, it would be three times bigger. So obviously they are successful. So obviously this system is definitely intriguing mm-hmm. to see that it's it's different, but yet it's so highly functional. Wow. So Anna, we wish you all the best in your work unlocking the mysteries of the termite genome. Okay, thank you very much. Right. and. If people would like to follow along with your work, do you have um, like a research gate profile or something like that people could mm-hmm. visit? Yeah, I do. And I'll provide that. Okay. So we'll have a link to that in our episode write-up once this is posted. Okay. Anna, thanks Thanks so much for having me. So GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. Tonight, 
we talk with Anna Chernyshova, and I'm your guest, your host today. My name is Evan Chen. I was joined with Ariel Frame. If you'd like to get in touch with GradCast, maybe come on and be a guest yourself or come on the committee and help make this program, you can drop us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can always visit our website, gradcast.ca, to keep up to date with all of our episodes. We broadcast every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on Radio Western, CHRW. And you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever you get your fine podcasts. This week we have a shout-out from the SOGS Academic Committee, and they are hosting the annual Western Research Forum on March 22nd. This is a free university-wide interdisciplinary conference for graduate students to present their work and network with other uh, trainees from various fields. For more information, please do check out sogs.ca slash WRF. Thank you and good night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.